Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn uh, back to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going back to 1 Corinthians. We took a little detour off of here for a few weeks. Uh, one week when I was gone, and then the last couple of weeks we've, we've done some venturing off into some other topics. We're going to come back now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 9, and we're going to look at three verses this morning in, in, in this passage here, verses 9 through 11. And uh, the, the title of the message this morning is, Do Not Be Deceived. Do not be deceived. Paul's going to say that in our, in our passage, and, uh, but, but that's the topic. So as you're turning there, you know, Paul has addressed, as we, as we just kind of given you a quick review of what we've looked at already in these first five and a half chapters in 1 Corinthians, Paul has dealt with a lot of problems within the church. You've got to remember, Corinth is a pagan, godless, sinful city. I mean, you, 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 we, we would... Did I say Vegas? Did I say Vegas? Or did I say Corinth? Did I say Corinth? I had Vegas in my head. I, did I say that out loud? So they, they, they're interchangeable. I thought well, it, 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 it fits, right? So we would, you know, if you talk about a, 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 a sinful city, I and mean, we would think of a, a Vegas or, man, any of the major cities. Well, wait a minute. Let's take that back. You know what? We can talk about Geneva, Florida. You want to talk about sinful cities? I mean, everything that's going on in Vegas is going on here. The sin that's in the men's hearts and the women's hearts in Vegas is going on here. And those are the things that were going on in Corinth. It is a sinful, wicked place. It was, it was a part of seaports, so people were in and out of there all the time. There was, there was all kind of uh, pagan worship, and, and we'll get more into that next week on, on that side of it. But Paul has dealt with several issues within the church as he starts out. He talks about the divisions in the church. He talked about sexual sin that was going on in the church. And we talked about their... You know, He's addressed their, not, not just the fact that they hadn't addressed it, but their pride, their pride, their sinful pride attitude toward that sin that was going on in the church. And, and then they're embracing sin in the church and they're shunning the ones outside of the church that they need to be out witnessing to. He, he addresses that. He talks about their failure to administer church discipline, the very thing that needed to be done in order to, for the, the health of the church. He's addressed that. And, and then he deals with, we just looked at in the early part of chapter 6, we look at believer taking believer to court. The, the believer suing believer in the pagan secular courts. And, and Paul deals with that. He deals with the sin that's going on. And I believe Paul had the same concern that many have today when we look at the local church, when we look at our local church, when we look at the local church in general all around America. And, and I can't speak for the world, but I can speak for what we see in America. And I think Paul's concern was this, that maybe some within the church weren't really saved. Hmm. Really, preacher? Yeah. You know, I think Billy Graham said years ago, I think Billy Graham said he thought about 50% of the people in church were lost. That members of the church were lost. I think Franklin Graham has taken a, a, a stronger approach. I think Franklin Graham thinks that number is a lot higher. That the number of people in church as members are not truly born again. That they have been deceived or they're deceiving themselves. And Paul's dealing with that issue. Paul didn't want them deceived about who would inherit the kingdom of God. So let's look at verse 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Question mark there. Do not be deceived. And what he's saying is don't be deceived. 
The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father, again, as we, as we turn to you in prayer, we ask for the Holy Spirit of God to move in our midst. Father, I pray for each one of us, myself included, Lord, that this morning, as we, as we again, as I've prepared this message, Lord, as you've spoken to me, as, you, as I've sought your will in, in this, Lord, I, I pray that even now, as I preach this message, Lord, that, that I would come before your word humbly, that I wouldn't come in here with preconceived ideas or notions or thoughts, that I'd check my pride. And right now, I'd come humbly before you and before your word. And, they, and Lord, then may I respond obediently to whatever it is that you desire to do in my life this morning. I pray that for myself. I pray that for us as a whole here, for everyone that is under the sound of my voice this morning. May we, Lord, just tune out the ones that are around us and tune in to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 9 again. Do, not, uh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now that word deceived here is the, the Greek word planeo. And, and it's the word that we get our English word planet from. Makes sense, right? It sounds similar to that. Now folks long ago, they were, they were puzzled by the way that planets moved, the way the stars, different things that they would see out in, in space moved. They were, they, were, they were puzzled by that. But they were puzzled by the movements and they considered them to be wanderers in space. They would think these planets, these stars, whatever's moving up there, they're just wandering around in space. Hence the word planeo means to go astray or to wander. That's where that word planet came from, to go astray or wander. And this word often carries the idea of being self-deceived. Now it's one thing to be deceived. It's one thing for someone to deceive us. But bottom line is, even when someone's trying to deceive us, it's on us to check things out, right? It's on us to try to discern truth and look for truth. And, and so the idea here, often this word carries the idea of being self-deceived. Now, the Lord used this word to describe the lost sheep in Matthew 18. Peter uses the same word to describe the lost sheep in 1 Peter chapter 2. So what Paul's saying here is, do not be deceived. All right, as you come before us, we talk about this right here, folks. Listen, do not be deceived. Now, there's several ways that people are deceived in the area of salvation. We're going to look at three. I'm going to spend a lot of time on the first. I hope to not spend so much time on the last two. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to watch the clock. I'm going to watch it this morning, okay? Now, so number one, there's this thing of believing that everyone goes to heaven. Again, Paul, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, you know this. Don't you know? Do you not know? He's asking the question, but, but it's a rhetorical question. He knows that they know, and they know that they know. Of course you know. You know, they've been taught this, and, and here, so Paul says, look, you've been taught this. I went over this with you before, but here we go again. Let me teach it to you again. And so let me ask you this question. You ever been to a funeral for someone that you, by every account, Every account, every testimony, everything that we can see from the outside, that person did not know the Lord. You ever been to that funeral? You ever been to that funeral when that person is sainted? 
Now, now I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be cruel. But there are, there are folks that their life just does not, there's nothing in their life that says they knew the Lord. In fact, many times their own testimony would tell you they did not know the Lord. They rejected the Lord. They lived a life of sinless, unrepentant rebellion against God. And yet, here's what we hear. Well, they're in a better place. Well, if you think hell is better than here, then maybe you're right. But I don't think that hell is better than here. This is the best it's going to get for a lot of people. This is, this is as good as it's going to get for those who do not know the Lord. But we, there, there's this tendency for people to, to saint someone and, 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 to, and to do away with the, the things that they, they, you know, the way they lived. Now, I, I can't judge somebody, and I, and I try never to do, do that. I can judge fruit. In a person's life, I can judge their testimony. We've done many a funeral where I would have died on the sword that that person knew the Lord. Their personal testimony said they knew the Lord. The way they lived their life said they knew the Lord. All of those things testify to that. The fruit that we saw in their life testified to that. But I, I can no more, I can't tell you they know the Lord any more than I can tell you someone didn't know the Lord. I can't, I can't do that. That's not my place. But I can judge fruit and we're called to judge fruit. We're to look at that and go, what does your life, what is it showing? And so people get this idea that they're in a better place or, 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 or they'll say this, you know, they're, they're, they're in heaven with the Lord now. And, and it's, it's a deception, folks. It's, they've deceived themselves. Maybe it's to make themselves feel better about, about understanding where that person is in reality. Folks, it doesn't do any good to stick our head in the sand and deny the truth of these situations. And so Paul clearly states here that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are hard verses. This is, it seems harsh, but there's nothing more loving than speaking the truth, people. We, we got a whole world today that talks about love, and they don't love at all. There's no embracing of love. It is, it is all about you doing what you want to do, and, and they're not thinking about what's going to come afterwards, that there is judgment, that everyone's going to stand before the Lord. We'll give an answer and give an account of our lives before God. And if we don't know the Lord, if we are an unrighteous person... Folks, we will not go to a better place. They are not going to be in heaven. And, and so the, the way that we live our lives doesn't just get wiped away. It's not like the dry race board. Raymond taught this morning, writes his verses up there. And we'll come in because tomorrow we got Bible club. We'll come in and we'll erase that. Your life is not like that dry race board that everything you do on it's written up there. The sin that you live, you just live like you want to. You reject God. It's all up there. And when you die, boy, we just, we just wipe it clean. That's not how that works. The choices that we make here, they aren't just forgotten about when we pass on into eternity. So what is Paul saying? Who are the unrighteous? The unrighteous is Paul's way of saying the unregenerate. Okay? The unrighteous, those the unregenerate, those who have not been born again, those who have not been saved from their sin, those who have not uh, been forgiven of their sin. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, and Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus was very blunt with Nicodemus here. And Nicodemus is a spiritual leader. He's a religious man. He's religious. 
He's living under religion. But he comes to the Lord and he's, and he's asking these questions about, about the afterlife. And, and then Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now that's a picture there. Water is the physical birth. That's a picture of the physical birth. Unless someone was born of water and the Spirit. He's speaking of the spiritual birth. You must have, the, if you've been born physically, you have to be born again spiritually. There has to be a spiritual birth as well. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, what, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus, don't marvel at that. Embrace this truth. You must be born again. So we are, we are deceived if we believe a person can live an immoral, scandalous, sinful, unrepentant life and then go to heaven. And that's what Paul is saying right here. But preacher, but preacher, I'm a, I, listen, I'm a good person. I, I, I'm not unrighteous. I'm, I'm not an unrighteous person. I'm a good person. I do good things. Listen, Scripture tells us a different story. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not, I'm not going to try to, to, to tell you, oh, well, well, remember that time I saw the way you looked at that person or I heard the way you spoke to that person or I, I, you know, I, I know what you did over there. I, I don't need to get in that argument because Scripture is going to make it very clear that we're not righteous. We're, we're unrighteous. In fact, Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. Guess what the word none means there? In the, in the Greek, what do you think none means? None. It's amazing. It's amazing. It really does. So there are none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. I'm going to do a little more Greek. I'm going to teach you a little more Greek. What do you think the word all in the Greek means right there? It means all. It does not mean some. It does not mean most. It does not mean many. It doesn't mean a few. It means all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what that means is this is all of us right here. This is God. And all of us have sinned. And because of our sin, God is here. God is perfect. We're down here. We're not perfect. And we cannot reach Him because of our sin. It has created a barrier there, a gap between us, that we can't do anything to get back to God because of our sin. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all... Our unrighteousnesses, now what does that word mean? What does unrighteousnesses mean? Well, think of it this way. It's all that we think is righteous in our life. It's all the things that we think we do well, that we're doing good, that this part of my life, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I do this and this and this and this and this. And we list all these things that I'm doing that's righteous and good and holy and all this stuff. But the scripture says that all are like an unclean thing and all our righteousness, righteousnesses, it's a long word, righteousnesses, all those things that we think are so righteous in our lives, they are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. It's a, it's a vile, disgusting picture of what that is. It is, it's, it's, it's filthy. It's dirty. That's what our lives, that's what our righteousness is in God's eyes. It's just filthy rags. We are all sinners, all unrighteous, all separated from God because of our sin. Romans 6, 23 tells us then that for the wages of sin is death. Now, we all understand wages. 
You get a job, you work, and, and you have, your wages are what you have coming to you. It's what you have earned. It's what you deserve, and it's what you will receive. That's the wages. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin, the payment of our sin is death. Now, that death is not that I die and I cease to exist. That death is eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. That's what the scriptures are speaking of there when it speaks of death doesn't sound like a better place to me. Now, as Paul is writing these people and he's writing, you got to understand this, someone who is unrighteous, they are already condemned. We, if we have not been born again, if we have not been saved by God's grace, we are already condemned. They were already condemned in their sin. We're already condemned in our sin. Uh, John 3, 16, the verse, we all know this verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, that word believes is not a head knowledge for belief, it's a faith knowledge. It is about faith. It is trusting in him. You know, the, the, the shortest distance between heaven and hell, you know what the distance is, right? It's about 18 inches. It's from here to here. You have to have a heart knowledge, a faith knowledge of the Lord. And it is that whosoever believes goes from head knowledge of who Jesus is to that heart knowledge that I believe by faith. He should not perish. That word perish is the same as death there. Should not die. Should not die in their sin and be eternally separated from God. But have eternal life. Man, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I preached a message one time about that where, where people ask the question, why would God you know, send people to hell? Why would he condemn people to hell? Well, he didn't. Our sin has done that. We were already condemned. This says that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he who believes, again, who puts their faith in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Folks, if we do not have a relationship with Christ, if we have not put our faith, truly put our faith in Christ for salvation, if we have not been born again, then we're condemned already because he has not believed. He has not placed his faith in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, Paul goes through here a laundry list of sins of unrighteousness. And we're going to talk about this. But he has said that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he lists now neither fornicators. That's any sexual sin outside of the husband-wife, one man, one woman relationship in the bonds of marriage, okay? Anything outside of that in the area of, of, of sex is sin. Outside of the bond of one man, one woman marriage, that's sin. Fornication. We, we call it a lot of things. We give it a lot of cute little names, but it's fornication. It's sexual sin. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what this is, what Paul's listing here, these are, these are evident sins of an unregenerate life. I, think, I, don't think he's, I don't think it's an exhaustive list. I don't think Paul is trying to list every sin that, boy, if you commit that sin, you're going to hell, folks. That's what, he's just naming the sins he sees in the church. He's naming the sins that were there in the church, okay? Not, not maybe active at the time, but that, that's, and you'll understand this in a moment. But these, are, these are sins that when you see this, that's evidence of a life that's unregenerate. 
Okay? Y'all with me? That's the, that's the sins of a life that's not born again, that's not saved, a person living in these sins. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This, this reads more like, when he writes this, this reads more like a letter to the local penitentiary than it does a letter to the local church. Amen? I mean, that's who, that's, that's who he's writing. Now, this group that he's writing to, all the sins there that he listed, but such were some of you. Some of you were these things. You were. And he says, you know, you were, but you were. Past tense. There's a change here. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. They had been born again. They had trusted in Christ to save them, to wash away their sin, to forgive them, to make them alive spiritually. They had heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to die for our sin, to take our place on the cross, to die in our place, and that he rose again the third day. They heard this. They, they heard, you know, they understood this truth in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him, God made him, made Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus had never sinned. He made him to be sin for us. Why did he do that? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, it's starting to make sense. Paul says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, then you have to be righteous. But there's hopelessness because we're sinful. We're unrighteous. We're full of sin. There's nothing we can do. But here, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus did it. God sent Jesus to do everything that needed to be done. He took our sin upon himself. He became our sin. He was sin for us, and he died for that sin that he might, that we might, become the righteousness of God in him. It's not in us. It's not about us. But it's Christ's righteousness. And the idea is, 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, him, Christ, the just, for the unjust, us. The, the righteous died for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That was the purpose of Jesus coming. That was the purpose of him dying, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He came back to life, and he offers us eternal life. The Holy Spirit of God convicted them of their sin and lostness and hopelessness. Jesus, Jesus told us the, the, the only way. He told us the way back to the Father. And he, you know, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There are no other ways to be born again. There are no other ways to have your sins forgiven. There aren't enough good deeds to be done. There aren't enough animals to slaughter on some altar somewhere. There, none of that will do it. It is simply through Jesus Christ. That is the only way to the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. They had called on the name of the Lord for salvation. Romans 10, 9 simply says this, that if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Now understand this confession. Uh, and people say that, you know, it's to say that Jesus is Lord. And I get, I get what they say, but the fact is a lost person can say, that. They may not mean it, but they can utter those words. That doesn't make them saved. Here's what a confession is. I got pulled over one Sunday morning coming down through here. We'd been complaining about the speeders, and then the sheriff pulls me over. So the sheriff's department pulls me over, and uh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, I even talk about it. You know, uh, okay. 
So they're out there clocking. He said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, sir, I do, because I was, I was speeding. So I was doing about 45 in the 35 part before it gets to the 25 part. And uh, but he gave me a warning. He was nice. He said, now go warn your church. And they, they you know, people slowed down on that road. Have they have not, that, Susan? Have they slowed down on your little strip right there? Yeah, I did. I've slowed down on that strip. Yeah. Yeah. But a confession, here's what a confession is. A confession is agreeing with someone what they already know. He, he, he asked me, you know, they do that. Do you know, sir, do you know why we pulled you over? They want to find out if you're going to lie to them or play stupid or what. But I just said, yes, sir. I was speeding. I don't know how fast I was going, but I, I know I was speeding. And so I'm, I'm agreeing with him. So when we confess, when we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, what you're doing is you're agreeing with God everything he says in Scripture. We're agreeing with God that we're sinners separated from God by our sin and that we're hopeless in that. We're agreeing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, came born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and that he rose again the third day. He died and then he rose again. And, and that he is God in flesh. We're acknowledging that. We're agreeing to that. We're, we're acknowledging that. We're confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus. And listen, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we have an understanding of our need, look, if you don't understand your need for salvation, you'll never be saved. Until you can acknowledge, you understand your lostness, you cannot get saved. You, you're not going to receive, you're not going to pray and confess your sin when you don't believe you have sin. You have to understand that we're sinners and we're separated by our sin. We have to understand that we are dead in that. But the promise is if we confess with our mouth that we acknowledge those things and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Well, it takes faith to believe that God raised Christ from the dead. It's faith, and it is faith that saves. For with the mouth one believe, or for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. There it is again. Then we can believe into righteousness. His righteousness comes on us, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So here's the deal. We must turn from our sin and turn to God. We must repent of our sin. Repent just it means this. It means to change our mind, to change direction. Luke 13, 3 says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And God saved them. They repented. They, they were convicted of their sin. They repented. They confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus. They called upon his name and the Lord had saved them. He had saved them. They had been washed Romans 10 and 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'll say this this morning. If you call, you, if you call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, today, he will save you too. And you go, but preacher, I'm saved. I, I hope you are. And I hope you, 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 you are examining your own life to make sure that you are in the faith that you're not deceiving yourselves, that you haven't bypassed some part of this, that, you know, I wish went down and sometime at a camp meeting and I prayed a prayer. I don't really know why I went down. I'm not even sure what I prayed. But I'm saved because I prayed a prayer. Or I'm saved because well, I got baptized. Or I'm saved because I joined the church. Or I'm saved because I'm a good person. Folks, there is, it's, 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 it's not simple in the sense that there's a lot that went on. Salvation was not simple, and it certainly wasn't easy. But today, salvation is simple because Jesus has done all the work. He's done all the hard stuff. 
He's done it all, and he offers you eternal life. And so this morning, if, if you'll call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll save you. Now, the unrighteous, does, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but by trusting in Christ, he gives us his righteousness, and we can then inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. All right, that's point one, the misunderstanding about salvation. It's a gospel message this morning. We need to understand the gospel. We need to understand the truth of that and make sure that we, we have, you know, we've not, we're not trying to get in some other way. We're not trying to get in the way of Cain. I'm going to do it my way. Well, I know what the scripture says, but, you know, I did this. Well, I did this doesn't work. It has to be what God said. I mean, that's what we have to hold to. And so we understand that the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God. Second thing that there's the deception on is this. And I'm, I've got a lot of notes on this, but I'm just going to kind of highlight it for you. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you quick. So some sins are an automatic sentence to hell. We, be, we kind of believe that. And here's where, here's where it comes. Y'all hear me now. Don't, don't get all upset. Really. But boy, we sure love to talk about homosexuals. They're going to hell. Homosexuals are going to hell. All these transvestites and all these transgender people, they're going to hell. That's it. Well, Paul says it. Now, I challenge you, you, you can do this. You can go look, you can search online for messages about homosexuality. They're going to quote this verse. As though this is the verse that says, this is the problem with the way that verse is used. It doesn't say that a homosexual can't be saved. It's not, it's, this is not the unpardonable sin. Now, understand homosexuality is sin, and sin is unrighteousness. And the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is clear here that those practicing the sins listed here are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous will not, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Fornicators? Neither were fornicators. You know, we, we all know some fornicators. Well, I don't, preacher. Mm. Well, you lived a sheltered life then. Because every church I've been in, we had people who were living in fornication, professing Christians. Well, we don't take the same approach with that. Well, that's sin, and that's, that's dark and dirty. You know, it's wrong. But, but we take a different... Do you get what I'm saying? We got a different approach with some sins than we do others. And, and Paul's not saying here... Uh, he, didn't, he didn't just say that, that, that the, the, the homosexuals nor sodomites will not inherit the kingdom of God with no exemptions, no exclusions. Boom, they're going straight to hell. It's not what he says. And yet so often this verse is used that way. It's used. See, they're, they're going to hell. Folks, they're not going to hell because they're homosexual. They're going to hell because they're living in sin and they haven't confessed their sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again. What did we just talk about? We just talked about the way of salvation, the only way to righteousness. You may be living here. You may have lived a good life. You are a good person even before you were born again. You are just a good person. There are good people. There are people that are morally, morally in God's eyes, they're sinners. Amen? But, but, but when you look at them and you go, man, they're just good people. They would give you the shirt off the back. They do a lot of good things. But that's not what it says gets you to heaven. You're still unrighteous. And if you've committed even one sin, Scripture says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. The penalty's the same. We get this idea that some sins are worse than others in this regard. And man, that's an unforgivable thing that, that listen, 
When Paul's writing, who is he writing to? Believers. Believers. The church there at Corinth. What did he say? He said, such were some of you. Every sin he just named, there were some of those in the church. But they had been saved. But such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been born again by the Spirit of God. And so as as he writes this, you know, and if you had gone to church there, well, let's just forget there. If you come to church here, you might sit down next to a former homosexual or a former lesbian or a former thief or a former adulterer or a former greedy person or a former slanderer or a former immoral person or a former idolater. In fact, you are sitting beside someone. If you're sitting beside someone who's been born again, you're sitting beside someone who's a former something that's on that list. Okay, so the the idea that that you they they that, that this particular sin can't be saved, it's not about that. It's about it's about being born again, because the unrighteous. What these sins are again are evidences of an unregenerate life. When we live in those and continue in those, it's evidence of an unregenerate life. Those who have been born again, Paul didn't say, hey, you guys, you guys are still living in that. You guys are, I know you're saved, but boy, y'all live in that. We got, we got just open sin all in our church, you know. But it's okay because you've been saved. No, he didn't say that. He said, such were some of you. Y'all were living this way, but you're not living that way anymore. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Now, there's some people in our church that I don't know the former them, right? So I hear testimonies of, of people. I, I hear them tell me about their life before Jesus. You know, uh, where's Randy? Oh, there you are. You moved. Threw me off. I thought you had skipped out. You know, Randy, Randy and I talk, we talk a lot, and Randy's been very, he's like an open book, and I'm, I'm an open book with Randy, and he knows me, and I know him, and he's told me his past, and I look at Randy, and I go, it just doesn't fit, right? Because the, the things he tells me about, the life before, that was, that was before Jesus, that was B.C., that was before Christ, that was B.C., and he's different now. I don't see that in his life. Henry, Henry Wilson tells me, he's, we talk a lot. Henry, I have a counseling thing. You know, I, I, help, I help these poor, these poor souls. No, they're counseling me. They're helping me. That's exactly what it is. But Henry tells me about his life. He tells me how he was. And I go, it's hard for me to understand that. Raymond has even shared things where he talks about the way he was before he trusted the Lord. I don't see it. I don't, praise God, I don't see it. Amen. Pastor Aaron, Pastor Aaron's been very open with us. He shared things from his past. And Pastor Aaron's told me some things that, 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 that he's told me about how he was before he was saved. And I go, I, I, don't, I don't see it. it because he's not there anymore. There's a change, people. When we come to faith in Christ, there's a change. And, and so there's, there's not this automatic sin, the things that can't be forgiven. And when we are forgiven, man, there's a change there. Scripture never conflicts. Amen? Amen. 
So what scripture says over here and what scripture says over here, it does not conflict. You'll never have a passage where this passage vetoes this passage. And there's a lot of doctrines that people try to explain away. And what you have to do is you got to tear down some verses over here in order to believe this verse over here. Scripture doesn't do that. Scripture will never conflict. It'll never contradict. One verse is not going to do harm to another. Scripture is very clear that whosoever... Right. So when these folks come to faith, when they come to that place of understanding they're a sinner, such were some of you. They came to faith in Christ and the Lord saved them. So it can't be that they can be saved, but yet that by committing this sin, it was unforgivable. You know what this ought to do? We ought to come out of here and, you know, and, and, and look, we, we all have our different views on different things. And um, but what we got to understand is we have a culture today that's embracing sexual sin I mean, it's not new. It's not, but it's new in our culture to the extreme that it is. It's new to America in this way, but it's not new to our world history. All you got to do is look back and see the sexual sin all through the, the ages. But you know what we got to do? We look at that and you know what? They, they need to be born again. It really makes it easy to identify folks that are living in sin. Why do they, why do they live that way? Well, why do dogs bark? Because they're dogs. Why does someone live in sin that way? Because they're sinners. And they need to be born again. They need to come to faith in Christ. And so we need to be about sharing that with them. Okay? That's point two. Third point is this. A third deception is that a saved person cannot continue, or, or I'm sorry, a saved person can continue in sin. That's a, that's a deception that we have. That is a we, we are deceiving ourselves in the church today, folks. I want you to, I want you, so verse 11 again, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and, and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if we, if we profess to be a born-again believer following the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to live in sin, then you are deceiving yourself. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is, not he will be, or he was in the past, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Scripture is very clear. So if you are not a new creation, if old things have not passed away, then it reasons that you are not in Christ. Okay? We've made it to where, you know, you can pray, you pray to prayer, oh, you're saved now, and you just continue to live, and there's no change. My life here is coming, and I meet Jesus, and it just keeps right on rolling along. Folks, if there ain't a big old blip there where you met Jesus and a change in your life, you probably didn't meet Jesus. Okay? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 now, by this, we know that we know him. Now, there's a way you can know if we keep, if we keep his commandments. We just go out and we live like we want to. We don't follow the Lord. We don't submit to his word. I know, but I know, but I don't care what the Bible says. You know, I know that's what the preacher says. I know that's what the Raymond said in class. I know Bibles. I read that before, but I just want to go and I'm going to do what I want to do. No, no. It says that if we, if we know him, we'll keep his commandments. 
He who says, I know him, quoting here, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Look, when you become a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit of God, the truth is the Holy Spirit of God comes in and indwells you. Amen? Amen. And you cannot continue to live like you want to with the Holy Spirit of God living in you and you not be convicted. And, and, and if you're a child of God, if you're in sin, you're going to be chastised of the Father. Yeah. Scripture says that if, you're, if you claim to be a child and there's no chastisement, you're not a child because he disciplines his own. He who says he abides in him ought also to walk. Just as he walked. First John chapter three. Now John deals with this in depth. In John chapter first John chapter three, verse one. Behold what manner of the love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now now we are the children of God. If you've been born again now, beloved, child, beloved, you're in Christ. Now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he, uh, when he is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. These are He's writing to believers here. And he comes to verse 3. And John says, And everyone who has this hope in Him, talking about salvation, You have this hope. You've been born again. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Does it say who everyone who has this hope in him just continues to live their old life, just continues to live in open sin? It says that we purify ourselves. When we come to faith in Christ, there's a change. We purify ourselves. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Now we get to verse 6, and he's going to make some pretty strong statements here. In fact, I remember reading, uh, I I was visiting a guy in Charlotte, North Carolina. We stayed up late, we're talking Bible, and we got in a long debate about this because he was misusing this passage. And he was basically telling me a Christian cannot sin, period. You can't even commit a sin, and this was a guy who, when I was in transportation, cussed me out one time. He didn't like what I put on his route. He didn't like what was going on. He cussed me out. And I said, I said, I said, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm going to call his name in public, last name anyway. But anyway, he cussed me out. We're having this debate. And I'm going, man, what do you mean a Christian can't sin? A Christian can do anything anybody else can do. You can't continue in that as a believer. But, but you can do anything. I mean, you go down I-4. Amen? You're going to have some confessing to do after you drive on I-4. So there's some things that happen. But here, look at what verse 6 says. He said, whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, if you just take that word as it is written in the English, then then you go, oh, well, man, if you're really a believer, you you won't talk, you won't ever mess up. That's what he was trying to argue is basically you you now have to be perfect, but we know that's not true. But what this this word says... Whosoever abides in him does not sin. And it's the idea here. It's not the committing of an act, but the continuous course of sin. It's, It's to practice sin. 
Now, you understand the difference between smashing your finger in the door and saying something you shouldn't say and having a life that just your mouth constantly exudes filth and, and profanity and, and, and corrupt communication. You, you, you understand the difference, right? One is a lifestyle. It's what you're living in. The other is, is there's something happened. And, and we know that Christians sin, um, but we don't continue in sin. We don't practice that sin. And, and when we sin, John tells us this because John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So there's another deception. Well, I don't have any sin. And John says, no, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourselves because we as believers, we do have sin. We battle the old nature every day. We struggle with these things. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, there's that word confession again, it's agreeing with God. God, this is sin. This is wrong. I'm confessing it, Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we not know that, Paul, that John's not writing here saying a Christian can never ever commit an act of sin. It's not what he's saying. He is saying a Christian will not continue living in a life of sin. We will not continue walking that way. Uh, continuing there in chapter 3, verse 7, says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices, again, he who practices, continuous, ongoing, it's the flow of their life. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. But he who sins is of the devil. For, and that's, that sins, again, continuous, living in the flow of his life. For he is of the devil. For for the devil has uh, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he should destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Continue life, their flow of sin in their life. For his seed remains in him. His seed, meaning Christ's seed, God's seed, remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness, listen, folks, is not of God. So Paul made a strong point that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. James, uh, John here is making the point that, folks, you profess to be a Christian, but your life in no way exhibits that. You don't live it. You don't walk it. You don't profess it. You just you say you're a Christian and you go and do everything as you want to do. There's nothing in your life that would say, I'm a believer. Uh, you are being deceived. For the children of God and the children of, of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So people, listen, people who profess to be saved, but who live as though they weren't, are self-deceived. And it's not that a saved person cannot fall and have a need to be restored to fellowship, but it's really a question of the flow of that person's life. And I want to try to give you an example that would make sense to this, okay? So you, you, which way does the Nile River flow? South to north, right. Flows north. The, do y'all know another river that flows south to north? We have a great example right here, right? So we have the St. John's River. And somebody had to remind me of that when I got here. I was trying to figure out why everything rained down in Melbourne affected here. I'm like, that makes no sense. Well, if you understand that the river flows this way, it makes perfect sense. Oh, yes. Okay. All right, so we have the river that, that starts, I think it starts somewhere around, there, around Melbourne and flows up all the way up and, and goes out into the Atlantic there in, in Jacksonville. So it flows north. St. John's River flows north. But 
I can take you out here. We can go this way. We can go out here uh, around where Mr. Juanita lived. It lives. It, the river. The river has turned. It turns. It comes out of the the, the lake um, Lake Harney, and it kind of goes northwest, and then it makes a sharp turn west, and then it makes a sharp turn southwest, and it actually runs almost directly south, and then it it'll, it'll it curves again and runs west again, and then it'll make its way, and then it's going to shoot back north. The river, the river flows north, right? But if you take somebody and they don't know the area, they don't know the geography, you just take them over there and I can take them out to where, Miss Claire, out to to Claire's house. We can go down to the river. I looked on the map to make sure I was right on this. But we can go stand at the river there where Claire lives and they can take a compass not knowing anything else and I can say, which way does the river flow? And they'll look at it and they'll go, oh, well, that's flowing southwest right here. They'd be wrong. That the, the, at the moment, at that moment, that particular spot, the river is flowing southwest. But the river doesn't flow southwest. The river flows north. Point being, if a believer, if someone is a believer, you know which way their life flows? Toward holiness. If someone's not a believer, you know what the flow of their life is? It's not toward holiness. There's a flow toward sin, toward continuing in sin, toward living in sin. And, and so we have, you go, well, preacher, I don't know if I understand that. All right, let's look at some twists. If you look at David's life at one place, you see David had committed adultery. Boy, he must be lost. Jonah's running away from God. He must be lost. You hear Peter denying the Lord with, with oaths and cursings. Hey, he must be lost. You see Elijah run away from Jezebel. Must be lost. You hear Abraham deny Sarah in Egypt and again in Gerar. Boy, he must be lost. That the, the stream seems to be bent. There's something wrong there. But wait, wait, look. We find David is on his face weeping and writing his tear-drenched penance uh, psalms. We see Jonah is headed for Nineveh after all. We see Peter preaching boldly to the multitudes. We see Elijah confronting Ahab again. And, and then there's Abraham headed for Mount Moriah by faith. We see their life. The flow of their life is toward holiness. So the real flow of life has simply, it, it, it's been reasserted itself for those people. For some of you in this room, I, 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 man, I wish I were at liberty to tell you something. We're going we're gonna to praise God because there's, there's a situation that I'm aware of that, that really is this situation where someone has been born again and they've come to a place where, where there was some, a, a thing in their life that they knew wasn't right and they battled and battled and battled and they finally have, have given it to the Lord and said, I'm making that right in my life. And what you see is not a life that just continues walking and flowing in sin and toward unholiness, but you see a life that's coming toward holiness. Folks, if your life is flowing and it's constantly flowing in that unholy direction, I'm living in sin, I'm living these sins, I'm doing what I want to do, and there's no desire, there's no conviction, there's nothing in your life that says, I need to be broke, I'm I'm, I'm broken of this sin, I need to get it right with God. There's none of that. The caution is, you probably have not been born again. If you can live in sin, if you can just live in that sin, you probably haven't been born again. And so there's, there's deceptions there. Paul says, don't be deceived. Only the righteous 
Only the righteousness that Christ offers can forgive our sin and take us to heaven. None of the, no, one, no unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. Only the righteous. And the only way for us to be righteous is through that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The only sin that God doesn't forgive is the sin of our own disbelief. When you talk about, and you can go study it out, the, the, the unpardonable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, when you boil that down, it's a denying of Christ. It's either attributing to Satan something that Christ has done, which is denying the deity of Christ, or we flat out deny the deity of Christ. But if, if the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and you deny him, you suppress him, you push him away, you reject him, ultimately, you, you are, you are uh, denying the deity of Christ. And the only sin, you know, the, God can do anything, right? There is one thing he can't do. And one thing he does not do, he does not forgive our uh, lack of faith. If, if we reject Christ, he cannot forgive our unbelief. He does not forgive our unbelief. And then the third thing is no truly born again person will continue living in sin. Maybe this morning there's someone on your heart that you know they're deceived. Maybe, maybe that you need to pray for them this morning. Maybe this morning you're sitting here, you've never come to that place of saving faith. I would venture a guess that as many people as we have in here this morning, there's someone here that's never truly been born again. There may be someone sitting here that's a, that's a, a, a member of our church that's never truly been born again. We may have a deacon I like to mess with Brent. I shouldn't laugh. It's not time to laugh. But if you're sitting here and the Holy Spirit of God convicts you that you've never truly been born again, do not care what anybody around you thinks. If we had a deacon that wasn't saved, I wouldn't be upset that they came forward and got saved. I'd rejoice. I'd praise God that they got it right with him. Amen? Amen. So this morning... Whatever the need is, if it's to pray for someone else, if it's to pray, if, if it's you, you need prayer, Pastor, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know that I know the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to, Pastor Aaron, you can come. I'm sorry. You guys go, go ahead and come forward. Um, I want y'all to just, don't pay attention to them. Pay attention here just a moment. And what I want to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just a moment. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to beg and plead for you to come to me. But with every, every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask one simple question this morning. If you would say, Pastor, I do not know for certain that I have been born again. I do not know without a shadow of a doubt that I have been saved. I do not have that assurance that I am a Christian. And, and if that's you this morning and, and you would like for me to pray for you, I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. But if that's you... That, that you know I need to be saved. Preacher, pray for me. I'm going to ask you, just slip your hand up. Ain't nobody, nobody looking around. Just slip your hand up. Because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you this morning. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Was there, was there another hand? Okay. I want to pray. And then here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. Listen, if you're serious about that, if this morning you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I plead with you, step out. Come down here. Let me take the scriptures. and Let me just walk you and introduce you to Jesus this morning. Father God, I thank you for those that have raised their hand this morning. They have acknowledged this morning that having heard what we've heard, having heard the truth in the scripture, they've acknowledged, I need to 